When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. This is Asked and Answered. Questions. With Tom Opferman and Steelers Digest editor Bob Labriola. We're recording this episode around 9.30 a.m. on Tuesday morning. The trade deadline is at 4 p.m. today, Lab. So between now and then, how many first-round picks do you think the Steelers are going to give up to, you know, get a safety, get a corner, maybe, get, you know, some help on the line? I mean, they're going to they're gonna be trading like crazy, right? You mean for another host of this podcast? Oh, I knew you were going to say that. I, <laughs> I, mean, I was worried you, I was on the you, block. You, you ready to go to Green Bay? Just in time for the winter. Can it be Miami? I mean, you can't send me down to Miami. <laughs> hey, I'm not making the trade. I mean, I don't have that kind of authority. Um, you know, okay, as you mentioned, the trading deadline is uh, 4 p.m. Uh, today, which is October 31st. Happy Halloween, by the way. Oh, happy well, Halloween. What, what, what's your con- what's your con- uh, costume going to be? Uh, first year dad. First year. <laughs> so, in other words, you're going to have like a – a towel around your uh, on your shoulder with all kind of you know, um, God knows what all over it. Yeah, in, in a lot of ways, that costume, first year dad, looks like a, a Rocky Balboa costume after ten rounds with Apollo Creed. Just sweat, <laughs> blood, towels, people squirting water in your face, cutting your eyelids. It's the same. It's one of the same. <laughs> um, all right. So anyway, back to the trading deadline. I hope that's not too bloody. Uh, <laughs> it is four p.m. today, October thirty first. Happy Halloween to all our listeners. Um, yesterday, uh, at, at Mike Tomlin's news conference, he was asked about the trading deadline and he said his, his line was, we're always open for business. Okay. Um, I, I, I take him at his word, but it depends on, to me, it, it's, it's going to come down to what kind of business we're talking about. Um, you know, I'm not going to go so far as to say the Steelers won't be making any trades before the deadline. Uh, but I am comfortable predicting that there won't be any trading away a number one pick, certainly not multiple number one picks for a veteran player. So, you know, any fans listening to this before the trading deadline, don't get your hopes up for, you know, any of those ridiculous names you've been hearing. Um, Patrick Sertain, the second as one. Right. Um, some corner from the Bears, I forget his name, uh, is another um, if these high profile type people who, uh, their, their teams would require a number one pick or maybe a number one pick plus other things, uh, I, I do not believe that's going to happen. Uh, the Steelers are not interested in getting into the business of trading away high draft picks for the future. Uh, that's what they did with under the Buddy Parker era in the late 50s and early 60s. Um, Dan Rooney took care of that and him, and then uh, that led to the hiring of Chuck Knoll in 1969, and the business model, I think, has been kind of consistent since then. So, with the exception of Minka Fitzpatrick, that was a one-time thing. Right. Uh, I think that there was a considerable um, mitigating factors there. 
Uh, the Steelers were, you know, he was still a very young player, so they had uh, some significant cost. Uh, um, you know, they knew what the cost was. I can't think of the word. The, the, the uh, assurance, cost assurance based on his rookie contract, how many years it had left, those kinds of things. Um, and so, uh, I, I, I don't know, I just think it was a, um, I won't say once in a lifetime, but certainly right. uh, once in a very rare occurrence for the Steelers to make a trade for a future number one draft pick. And I think that was a good trade too, by the way. Yeah, Mink has been a decent player, hasn't he? He he seems to be doing okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's okay. he he's he's pretty okay. Now, I'd like to be as okay at my job <laughs> as he is at his. Let me say that. And seriously, we hope Minka can get to a speedy recovery with that hamstring injury because that secondary for sure needs number thirty-nine back there. Uh, let's get to that this defense. The defense in general. That you're right. You're right. Yeah, he's yeah. he's an, he's a game changer on that defense. Uh, let's get to this week's batch of questions. Our first one comes from John Fry from Titusville, Pennsylvania. I know usually when there is an accepted penalty, the official scoring is no play. But when Deontay Johnson caught the pass and then George Pickens was called for an illegal block, how is that play scored? Okay, uh, John is referring to a play in, from a game against the Rams. Okay, And it was, just to give you the uh, particulars, it was third and nine from the Rams' 27-yard line. Okay, So um, according to the official play-by-play from the game, the 15-yard penalty for the illegal blindside block against, uh, and the call was on uh, against George Pickens, that was enforced from the Rams' 20-yard line. Okay, so that indicates that there was a gain of seven yards before the penalty occurred, and then therefore was enforced. So, in that specific situation, uh, Kenny Pickett is assigned an attempt and a completion for seven yards in the statistics. Deontay Johnson is credited with one catch for seven yards. Wayne Eppenheimer from Jamestown, New York. How is it determined which teams get to play in London? Okay. There's a website called operations.nfl.com. And I'm re I'm, I'm going to quote from that website. Did you have to pay a subscription um, to get to that website? Or is that free for everybody? Uh, you do uh, it, it, I, I did not have to pay, and um, but don't say it too loud because uh, who knows uh, what might happen. No, that is a free website. Okay, so uh, the, the quote about uh, the um, international games. As part of the league adopting a 17-game schedule in 2021, AFC and NFC teams will alternate seasons where they have nine home games. The host teams for international games will be selected from the conference with the ninth home game, so clubs still will host eight games in their home stadiums. For example, since NFC teams have a ninth home game in 2022, four NFC teams will be selected to host an international game that season. Teams can still volunteer to play home games abroad, just as they have in previous seasons. Steelers haven't played in London since 2013. You were there, right? You went overseas for that yes. trip? Yes. Mm-hmm. London's looks, a very cool city. Yeah, I mean, it looks like if you get it once in a blue moon, like the Steelers, I'm not trying to be the Jaguars, where you go there once or twice even every single year. But it can definitely be a, a trip that's worthwhile for not just the whole team, but the, the ancillary staff around the team as well. Right. And what they've, what they've implemented now, 
uh, which, you know, I think I would like even better if, um, you know, that were to happen again is, you know, they, they have, they, they will play the game at one o'clock in London, which is in those nine thirty Eastern time right. kickoffs are on TV, uh, you know, international games, because in that case, you know, for it to be a one o'clock game, it's not, it doesn't kick off till six o'clock there, five or six o'clock. So, um, yeah. And then cause you're coming back to red eye yeah, situation, right. uh, the travel is, is more difficult on your body. Um, so, but anyway, they didn't have that. Then they have that now. Um, I'm not that anxious to get back on a plane and fly across the pond, as they say. But um, I think that would be a better, more uh, body-friendly time situation thing than the the way they had been doing it. I don't think you want to get on a plane to just fly to Cincinnati, Ohio at this point, do you? (laughs) That's an accurate statement, as Bill Cowher might have said. Scott Blakenship from Asheville, Kentucky. Chuck Knoll, Bill Cowher, and Mike Tomlin are all coaches with defensive backgrounds. Noel is rightly given credit for the Steel Curtain defense, though he did have a defensive coordinator, Bud Carson. Do we know who called defensive plays back then? Correct me if I'm wrong, but Terry Bradshaw called the offensive plays. I'm also curious as to whether Cower called any of the defensive and or offensive plays. Um, okay, uh, going back to the, the first part of the question, which had to do with Chuck Noll and his defensive coordinator, Bud Carson. Um, that was during the 1970s. Uh, offenses and defenses at that time were elementary in comparison to today's schemes. Okay. So if, uh, for those Steelers team teams, uh, let's start with the offense, the quarterback called the plays and that was whether it was Bradshaw or Joe Gillum or Terry Hanratty. Okay. <clears throat> Chuck Knoll served as the offensive coordinator. He met with during the week, he met with, uh, the quarterback's, in the formulation of the game plan, what kind of plays they wanted to run that particular week. Um, And then the quarterback called the plays. Okay. Um, On defense, there weren't any defensive plays called. I mean, the Steelers were in the same defense all the time. Okay. It was a four, three cover two. That's what they played. um, Basically. Now there, there may have been some adjustments in terms of, uh, for a particular opponent, but all of that stuff was handled leading up to the game. I mean, there weren't hand signals coming in from the sideline, changing the coverage every down, you know, right. Mel Blunt lined up on the one side of the formation and whichever receiver came over there, he covered him. Now, pretty well, wasn't too, always man- yeah. And it wasn't always man to man necessarily, but whatever it was, it was the same. Jack Ham did the same thing on every snap of every game. He was the um, the uh, right outside linebacker. He was over there, and his assignments, based on maybe what the the offense aligned in, might have been a little different. But no one had to tell him that. You know what I mean? I mean that was just that was his position. So. Um, you know, there were no green dots, there were no linebackers with, um, you know, with, um, the communicator in their helmets, uh, and, and there were no hand signals, defensive plays called. I mean, that, that just didn't exist then. 
So, okay, then the Bill Cower part, yes, Bill Cower was involved in play calling on both sides of the ball whenever he chose to assert his authority as the head coach. I mean, um, I saw a recent um, quasi-documentary uh, about, uh, it was a Steve Sable who uh, used to be the, before he died, um, NFL Films chief. Right. And they did it, Steve Sable did a, it was an in-depth, it was about 45 minutes to an hour long thing. It was very good. There's obviously everything that Steve Sable was associated with for NFL Films. And there was a lot of, you know, sideline kind of uh, footage as NFL Films is very good at obtaining and using. And, and Bill Cowher, you could hear him telling, uh, there was a play from 1992, which was his rookie season or uh, as a coach, telling offensive coordinator Ron Earhart, um, Steelers special screen. Let's use that now. And at the time, uh, they would they would hand signal the plays in. I don't know that they, I don't think they had helmet communicators yet. 1992. So that was the play call. They threw it. The Barry Foster was the running back. He took the pass, ran it in for a touchdown. So that's a um, documented example of Bill Cower suggesting if you prefer that word a play <laughs> um but you know when he said let's do this uh you know it was it What's was more than a suggestion no. <laughs> not like nah, that bill call. you're wrong <laughs> yeah right um and even with um you know dick lebeau as the defensive coordinator bill cower would sometimes say whatever you know he had input and as i said he he could uh, assert that input anytime he wanted to, you know, he wanted to. Eric Shear from Downington, Pennsylvania asks, on the first series of the game against the Rams, T.J. Watt made a brilliant play on the interception when he was dropped into coverage. How often is he used in that capacity? Okay, I'm not able uh, to provide with, provide snap counts where T.J. Watt dropped into coverage versus when he rushed the passer. And I'm not saying that because you know, the team doesn't want me to reveal that information. I'm telling you, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I'm sure that, you know, within the team, um, they know, but it's not something that's made public and not something that anyone would tell me. So uh, there's that. I can tell you some things about it, though. Um, the the well, interception that T.J. Watt had against the Rams, that was the seventh of his career. Um and his rookie year was 2017, and he recorded his first interception as a rookie in that season. Um, in 2019 and 2022, he had two interceptions in each of those seasons. Okay, now scouring the interweb, I found a website that uh, says Watt has been targeted by opposing quarterbacks 48 times in his 93 career NFL regular season games. So. Um, I don't know if that helps or not. Now, just as a general um, policy or tendency of the 3-4, you know, having the edge rushers, or as they were called, you know, before recent times, outside linebackers, um, it, 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 dropping into coverage, that's long been a part of the Steelers' defensive plan, going all the way back to the, you know, when Greg Lloyd was doing that. Um, because when the version of the 3-4 that the Steelers kind of play now was first introduced, 
That happened in uh, 1992, and it kind of came from the uh, merging of ideas from Bill Cowher, who was the head coach at the time, Dom Capers, who was the defensive coordinator at the time, and Dick LeBeau was the secondary coach. So, you know, the, the Steelers ran a 3-4 before that, um, but it wasn't it, – it was a different version, let me put it that way. It was, it was different in style. It looked different. Um, and the uh, edge rushers were one or the other. You know, you either covered or you rushed. I mean, it wasn't a lot of both. You didn't have that. Um, and so, you know, and everybody knows the most memorable uh, example of an edge rusher dropping <laughs> into coverage, Super Bowl Forty Three, uh, when James Harrison did that, just that to intercept Kurt Warner. Uh, that pass was returned a for those of you who don't know, <laughs> 100 yards for a touchdown at the end of the first half. And let me just throw this in, too. Kurt Warner does a lot of TV now. Yes. It always cracks me up when he says, well, a quarterback should be more aware, you know, of what was happening or where he was throwing the ball. Or And I always scream at the TV, hey, Kurt, what were you aware of? Super Bowl 43, when you thought Harrison was supposed to drop. Were you aware? Did you check? Did you... You know, um, it always cracks me up when guys uh, forget that it's not as easy as they're making it sound on TV. And Kurt, Kurt Warner is a guy, he's got a Super Bowl ring. He's got a Hall of Fame ring. You know, he could actually say, hey, you know, you don't want to do what I did in right, Super Bowl exactly. 43. Some self-deprecation you know? would be great. And a little bit of, uh, you know, honesty, you know. Um, but, hey. I'm not a TV guy. Maybe that's why I'm not on TV. <laughs> that plus I'm not very pretty. TJ Watt, seven interceptions and 70 sacks. He's the first, he's one of only two players in their first seven seasons to have at least those two marks. The other one was some guy named Lawrence Taylor. I think he was an actor, Labs. He was in like Any Given Sunday <laughs> and he was in a, a little bit of The Waterboy, too. So I, I think, he, he did a movie, too, once, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, wa the water boy. Yeah, they're was, right, the water was, boy, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, not yeah. many people know A professional Taylor, wrestler, sure. too, I think. Oh, did he? Really? Nice, yeah, great. I, 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 I remember that name. I'll have to look him up. He must have been a there. decent player to be in the same, you know, category as TJ As TJ Watt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Tom Henson from Martinsville, Indiana. I counted 14 total catches by tight ends through six games. With Pat Fryermuth on injured reserve, do you expect to see Darnell Washington get more targets? And what are the chances the Steelers get Zach Gentry back from the Bengals' practice squad? Okay, I'm just going to update this because, you know, we played another game uh, since I was able to include this question. So through seven games, Connor Hayward has 12 catches, Pat Fryermuth has eight, Darnell Washington has one. So that's 21 catches through the first seven games. Um, of the season. Um, you know, I'm going to, I believe that when you're looking for someone, while, while Fryermuth is on IR, if you're looking for someone among the tight ends currently on the roster who has a chance to see more targets because Fryermuth is on IR, I, w I am imagining it's going to be Connor Hayward uh, because, you know, Darnell Washington is, is not a receiving tight end, boys and girls. I mean, I'm getting no. a lot of these kinds of things. Why aren't they targeting him more? Blah, 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 blah. He wasn't at Georgia um, either, Labs. He, he never he wasn't really was. at Georgia. Right. He was not. That's not. That was not his claim to fame in college. I mean, I think he averaged like 
I don't know, 1.2 catches a game or right. something there um, because that Bowers is his last name. Yeah, Brock Bowers. Uh, he's a stud. Brock Bowers. Thank you. Yes, he's the receiving tight end. So Darnell Washington didn't come into the NFL as a uh, refined route runner as a tight end. I mean, he's big, um, but his and I don't, you know, he could still develop into a, a receiving tight end. But seven games into his rookie year, uh, you know, I, I I just think people are. Uh, looking at his height and weight and thinking, you know, he should be great at this. Or, you know, maybe they went to training camp practices, as I did, and fell in love with some of the things he did in drills, as I did. Uh, and then you just think, well, that's going to translate right into NFL regular season football. But it doesn't work that way. Okay? So uh, I'm not down on Darnell Washington. I saw him handle T.J. Watt and some backs on backers. The guy can block. Okay? Give him some time. Maybe he adds receiving to his repertoire. But right now, I think uh, with Fryermuth out, Connor Hayward is going to assume the role of go-to guy. I mean, uh, if, you, if you need a phrase, uh, among the tight ends in the passing game. Okay, now the Zach Gentry thing, um, I, I, you know, nice guy. I mean, Zach Gentry is a good guy. I mean, he uh, was very... Uh, he always interacted with the fans at training camp uh, before practice. He'd play catch with the kids or other fans were standing along the sideline. I mean, you know, I got nothing bad to say about Jack's, Zach Gentry. But this idea that has grown from I don't know where, that he was a great receiver uh, in the NFL, I, I, I mean, it's just not true. He, I mean, he wasn't. Uh, his forte, you know, coming into the – the season anyway was the the last couple of seasons was his blocking okay now with um darnell washington on the team who was a much better blocker uh you know gentry was waived and there were a couple of different times when the steel you know the steelers had a chance to bring him back to the practice squad oh for sure they decided they decided not to okay um and there have been a, another couple of occasions where they have made roster moves and they have involved Rodney Williams. So if they're picking Rodney Williams over Zach Gentry, um, I don't know. It, it doesn't seem to me to be that difficult to say or to realize that the Zach Gentry ship has sailed. I, I, I don't see them bringing him back. They've chosen Rodney Williams on a couple of different occasions when they made moves at the position and so um there you go no there won't there will not be any zach gentry return um i just don't think the team is interested and our final question today comes from joe asher from tampa florida if tj watt breaks his own and michael strahan's record for sacks in a single season do you think he'd be the leading candidate for defensive player of the year do you think there are any numbers he could achieve to be considered MVP? Um, okay, the, the single-season sack record that T.J. Watt shares with uh, Michael Strahan is 22-and-a-half. If T.J. Watt breaks that record, I believe um, he should get the Defensive Player of, year, of the Year award by the end of that game, whenever that happens. I mean, that's what I believe should right. happen. Um, but, you know, on... Um, 
TV, social media, I've been hearing a lot of blathering about how great Miles Garrett is. Okay? And so let me just point this out. The Defensive Player of the Year is awarded through votes from a panel of 50 AP sports writers. So a lot of those people that who may be touting Miles Garrett on television, on podcasts, possibly on social media, could have a vote. So, you know, what I think should happen uh, doesn't necessarily mean it will. Right. And because once you have an, uh, an election, I mean, nobody knows how an election is going to turn out. So I believe that T.J. Watt is the best defensive player in the NFL. I believe that he is the leading candidate for that award right now. I believe if he breaks that sack record, he should <laughs> undoubtedly uh, win that award. Yep. Um, but... Uh, I don't have a vote, so it doesn't really, you know, I can say this is what I think, but it has re no real impact on uh, the award and to whom re to whom it is given. Now, MVP, um, I don't know. I, I just, you know, to me, that's now has evolved into a quarterback award. Oh, 100%. <laughs> you almost... You, you can't even be, be a different offensive player than a quarterback. Yeah, it was like Adrian uh, Peterson when, back in like 2008, I think, was the last one to win that wasn't a quarterback. Yeah. Um, now, Lauren, that guy that you mentioned, the actor, oh, Lawrence the actor. Taylor. Wow. Yeah. Um, he he won the MVP award in 1986. In a movie or now, in real life? <laughs> apparently, it's real life. Wow. Uh, but he had 20 and a half sacks that year. Now... At that time, forced fumbles were not a, um, a sanctioned NFL statistic. So he's officially credited with no forced fumbles that year. <laughs> yeah, but <right. laughs> if you remember, right, all the strip sacks, because that was one of his moves. I, 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 he invented it in my mind. Whether he did or not, I don't know. But I remember him being the first um, guy who executed that as a part of his repertoire okay so he had a number of those um but we also have to remember this about 1986 whatever lawrence taylor did every tackle every time his presence altered the outcome of a play he did it in new york now i know they were playing in you know the swamplands of new jersey the meadowlands <laughs> but you understand what i mean oh yeah so that's another that's a thing in lawrence taylor's favor for winning that award and as I, I just mentioned about the award being a quarterback award, I mean, that, that now has become so ingrained. You know, I don't know, can could anyone beat Patrick Mahomes out, you know, for this MVP award? Yeah, people I've been, you know, hearing and reading, Tyreek Hill, the receiver from the Dolphins, might end up with 2,000 yards receiving. And he's a long shot if he does that, I think. Yeah, because there's someone the throwing MVP. him the football. And that, yeah. guy, that guy, Tua, is going to get consideration. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I, I just whether I, I just don't think it's possible. You know, sure, there are numbers he could that could lead to him winning the MVP award, uh, but they would have to be so ridiculous, and then all the offensive players would have to stink. You know, I mean, it right. would have to be some sort of uh, confluence of things that I don't think are real. So... You know, I, I believe T.J. Watt is the Defensive Player of the Year right now. Um, and if he continues, I think he should win the award. I cannot 
I cannot say for sure that he will, though. Short week for your Steelers. They kick off at 8-15 at Akershire Stadium on Thursday night against the Titans. I know Labs agrees with me. The best part about a Thursday night game, that's Sunday off, huh? Oh, it's going to be yes. so great. Oh, I thought, yeah, the best part of a um, Thursday night game is Friday morning when it's over <laughs> and all the work is done because that's when the weekend starts. Amen to that. Good luck to the Steelers this Sunday. Need to get a win, or excuse me, this Thursday. Need to get back in the win column against the Tennessee Titans. Get your questions in right now to Labs, and hopefully you'll be heard on a future edition of this podcast. For Bob Labriola, I'm Tom Opperman, and thanks as always for listening to this to the Asked and Answered podcast.